Welcome to Episode 7 of the Daily Texans audio series, The Stories of Our Halls. In this episode, we hear from Dr. Munira Sharad, an award-winning author and associate professor at the University of Texas at Austin. Dr. Sharad's research is centered around political sociology and gender and women's rights, specifically in the Middle East and North Africa. She told me about the path she took to attain her position as a leader in academic spaces across the globe. As an undergrad, I studied sociology at the University of Paris, at the Sorbonne in Paris, and my interests were really more on issues of development, state formation, politics, economic development, those kinds of things. And it's only once I came to graduate school that I became interested in issues of gender. And I think many different factors came into play. Um, One is that I uh, had very close friends who also were interested in gender. And then more and more, I, I started thinking about my place in Tunisian society, where I was coming from, my sister's place, my family's place in that society. And I started to think about some women I knew in Tunisia who had um, very good lives in many ways, but also at the same time had to maneuver to create this good life in a world of a lot of restrictions. And in particular, I knew two women very closely who were a part of my extended family who could not divorce when they wanted to because divorce was not, it was possible under the legal system in which they grew up, but it was very difficult. So I started thinking about how in Tunisia in the mid-50s, actually in 1956, the law was reformed very drastically. And I had traveled when I was a graduate student to Algeria and Morocco for various things, you know, conferences and meetings and so on. And I realized how the law had not changed in those two other countries. So I became very curious. I wanted to understand better how come in Tunisia the law had changed. Who changed it? Why? And the change in the law made uh, significant differences in women's lives because now they could divorce. Before that, it was not. In, it was only either a private matter or it was in a religious court, but the woman had to prove that her husband had done something very, very, very wrong. Uh, and there is a number of conditions that were written in the law. So in 56, those reforms in Tunisia really changed the situation for women. Those reforms were game changers. And I realized that Algeria and Morocco didn't have that, even though I thought the three countries shared a lot of similarities in language, in culture, in uh, French colonization. So I wanted to try and 
understand how come, you know, Tunisia was different. And as I started, you know, reading more and discussing more, um, I also came to the realization that Tunisia was really a pioneer in that part of the world. And so it became even more of a puzzle for me. And I became committed to trying to understand that. I asked Dr. Sherrod what the most surprising thing she has learned in her research has been. You know, partly from researching and partly from living and knowing women and having the most wonderful friends on the planet, I have learned about the strength of women and how So many women don't take no for an answer. So many women are determined. So many women just really figure things out a lot, you know, because I think that often everywhere, not just in the countries I study, but that they have to raise children, they have to take care of children, they have to take care of the sick, of the elderly, of the vulnerable. They're mainly responsible for sometimes life or death kinds of situations, and they find ways, you know, in their daily lives to figure things out and get things done. I'm not saying every woman, obviously, that would be silly to say that, would make no sense, but certainly so many women find creative ways of handling issues and getting things resolved. The stamina, the resiliency and the stamina and the determination, that is something I have seen over and over again. I think something that's important to me and that I have never written about, I mean, I have written the results of my research, you know, published books, articles, those things. But I think something I never put in writing that is not really the result of my research, but it is really more the kinds of stereotypes, definitions, misunderstandings that I had to face and dispel in the course of doing my work. When I came to to graduate school, and I chose my research direction at that time and chose a topic for a dissertation, I just felt that what I was trying to do was really not what people expected at all. I felt that I was doing what they thought a man should do, not a woman, right? So I was interested in understanding why a country made reforms and other two did not. So I took a very, what we call macro-sociological approach that is looking at the big picture. And I studied the development of the state over uh, close to a century in each country. And that is not what people expected a woman to do or a woman from Tunisia, let alone, to do. So I felt that because I was taking the big questions, the development of the states, how come a state developed in such a way that it ended up making reforms 
and the other two states developed in a different way and made no reforms. The argument I constructed was very much rooted in what we called macro sociology as opposed to micro and structural kinds of issues. So I felt that repeatedly people expected me to do, first of all, something having to do with the veil. I was not dealing with the veil. I was dealing with development of states (laughs) and legal reforms. That's a different kind of question. I think that people were expecting me to say that women were all subordinate in my part of the world. And I was not dealing with that. I was not talking about subordination. I was talking about why reform versus no reform. And the explanation I offered is that it had to do with different states that developed. So what I felt I was expected to do was to sort of fulfill expectations that people had here about the culture of the country I was coming from. And I was not fulfilling those expectations in my work. I was doing what the men did, for one thing, look at the big picture, looking at states, and I was not dealing with the kinds of questions they wanted me to deal with. I think the big tribulation was really what I had to do to find my voice as a scholar, as a writer, and stick to it over and over and over and over again because I gave, you know, talks and I would face always the same kinds of questions about, oh, but aren't women oppressed? Oh, how about your childhood? Were you oppressed? No, it wasn't. How about, you know, the kinds of things that people wanted to hear to confirm the stereotype I was telling you about. So that went on for my whole career, and the only way I could address it was to stick to my guns, so to speak, (laughs) just go on saying what I was doing and doing it my way. I asked Dr. Sherrod what she wishes she knew when she was younger. Be more confident, believe in what you do early on. It took me a long time to grow and believe in what I was doing, believe in it earlier. People told me that I was doing a good job, believe it, (laughs) instead of saying, oh, they're being nice to me or, you know, and don't doubt yourself. That's what I would say. I asked Dr. Sherrod what legacy she hopes to leave at the university. I think as somebody who's taught for a while at the University of Texas, I would like to leave a legacy of students who do really well in life. Their success is my success. Their success is my gratification. Yesterday, for example, I gave a talk on Zoom at the Wilson Center in Washington, D.C. And yesterday, two of my former students, two of my former graduate students, were panelists. They got their PhD under my direction here, 
And I was so proud to see them. I was so happy to see them and to see them grow intellectually, emotionally, to really become their own person, to do their own research, develop their own ideas, and uh, for me to be there and help them and guide them through what can be a very painful process. The students become like your extended family in the world in a way. Uh, so many countries I can go to, I have former students there. And it's like family, you know? So that's my legacy as a teacher. And I hope to continue providing that because it's just very gratifying for me when this happens. Now, I think in the world is a little bit different. I mean, there is the personal world, the personal level, where you know you want to leave a legacy of of love, of concern, of a few individuals to whom you have given on a personal level. And that's different from the teaching and it's different from the research. But I think that's a very important legacy. And I'm totally honored and delighted that my work is widely cited. I am hoping that it continues to be cited after my death and that the intellectual legacy will continue. People draw on it, not only to study the countries I have studied, but the issues I have studied. That was Dr. Munira Sharad, an award-winning author and associate professor at the University of Texas at Austin, who taught us the value of staying true to the path you seek and to always ask big questions. This has been a production of the Daily Texans Audio Department, reported and edited by me, Ferdos Kezrian, and supervised by audio editor Molly Jo Tilton. Music from Blue Dot Sessions, Gray Leaf Willow by Resolute. For the Daily Texan, I'm Ferdos Kezrian.